Welcome to Fusion Student Ministries. We hope this message equips and encourages you. All right, guys. Well, today um, I'm going to talk to you guys about um, the most relevant book in the world. Surprise, that's the Bible. So I'm going to be talking to you about the Bible today, but I don't want to talk about it from a standpoint of, oh goodness, you know, we've heard so much about the Bible already. I mean, I've been saved for this long or I grew up in church, so I know everything about the Bible. I want to, I want to set that aside and I just want to open up with just some, some random facts about the Bible. And then we're going to get into some truth about the Bible. Sound good? Amen. All right. Woo. All right. So. Um, today I'm going to talk about the Bible, but I want to open up with comparing it to other books. And we're going to get into some just everyday stuff before we go deeper. But I was, I was driving the other day and I was kind of curious, how many books have ever been published or how many books are actually in print right now? And so there are currently 130 million different books in print as of 2016. And so like to visualize how many books that is, if you took 130 million books and you put them together cover to cover, that would go from the East Coast of the United States all the way to the West Coast of the United States. That's 2,092 miles, almost 2,100 miles long. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of books. And that's just one copy of each published book. Out of that whole lineup of books, if you were to organize all of those books from number one selling, most popular book to least popular book, the Bible would be in the front. The Bible since the beginning of the printing press, I think that was in either 1814 or 1914. But anyway, um, in the beginning of the printing press, that's when the Bible started getting printed, just like all these other books, you know, and as the books would be added from that day Every year running, even until this year, it's still the number one selling book. So that made me think, well, how many Bibles have been sold since the beginning of the printing press? And this is sold, not given away. A lot of Bible publishers will donate books to mission fields and things like that. So this is, again, only books sold. Five billion books, five billion Bibles have been sold since the beginning of the printing press. Now, if you would line up five billion Bibles cover to cover and stack them and line them up, that would go around the entire world 3.17 times. So around the whole world, I don't even think like we can fabricate how much, how big that is. That's 78,914 miles long. 78, so it's almost 79,000 miles. The book that comes in second place is a, is a Chinese communist manifesto book. And it was re a required purchase by everybody in China. And so that's also the largest country and th the most populated country. And so everybody for years had to buy the book. It wasn't an option. It's a necessity. And the Bible is also outlawed in China. So that book has only sold 820 million copies. And that's a forced book. And this is one that you can buy yourself. So if we take that and we go a little bit more practical, um, uh, there's a lot of research I wanted to find on senior high students, but it was hard to find that research. So the next step up was college-aged students or college students. So whether you're heading to college or whether you're just 
you can't avoid it. You're getting older. So you're going to hit that age bracket. One or the other, this stuff still applies to you. So let's look at this. And trade school uh, numbers are pretty much the same. So if you go into hair school or trade school or something like that, they're all pretty close to the same average. A college student spends on average $5,000 on books by the time they graduate. That's an average, five grand on books by the time they graduate college. The average college student also spends 25 to 35 hours a week studying or in class, and that's based on a C student. Over 16-week semester, that student will spend 560 hours in class and studying. That's 1,120 hours a year. That's over 5,000 hours by the time they graduate, just studying, 5,000 hours. The average college student spends $10,000 a year in tuition without tops, and that's at a public university. That means on average, it's, it's $45,000 just in tuition by the time you graduate college, Forty-five grand. That's a huge down payment on a house. All right. In four years, a college student will spend $45,000 on tuition, $5,000 in books, and 5,000 hours studying. That's not counting homework and projects. And they'll still ask these questions when they graduate. Who am I? What's the point of life? What's my purpose? People will graduate for a specific career and still not know their purpose in life. That won't fulfill them. How do I become a good boyfriend or girlfriend? How do I become a good husband or a good wife? How do I know who the one is? How do I know who I'm supposed to be for the one? How do I manage my money? You don't learn any of this in college. You don't learn any of this in trade school. How do I solve day-to-day -day problems in my life, etc.? All of those questions people still have. It's not like I have somebody hit the People still have, sorry guys, all of those questions people still have after college. Those things don't get answered after all of that time and effort and all of that money. See, people spend their time setting, setting themselves up for a career and for a job, but not for their life and not for the life after this. Hey, does one of the leaders want to go ask them to not jump <laughs> calmly? <laughs> They're little... Okay, sorry about that. Um, so I wanted to find, again, I wanted to find some numbers um, that pertain to high school students. And man, those things were just hard to find. But here's what I could find. 57% of people, so let's say 50%, half of the people between ages 18 and 28 read their Bible. But this is, this is on the, the maximum side here. Half of that. So 50% of 18 to 28-year-olds read their Bible an average of three times per year. So when we, when we compare that to all those big numbers I just read, there's, a, there's something going on here, and this is what we're seeing in our world. This is what we're seeing in our world. People think they're starving for knowledge. People are confusing something, though. They're not starving for knowledge. They're starving for wisdom. And there's a difference in knowledge and wisdom. See, people can go and, and get doctorates and several PhDs and still not know the answer to all of those questions that I asked earlier. And the only place to get that wisdom is from 
the Bible. Why? Because the same person who created this Bible, this Bible is living and breathing. The same person who comes out of this Bible when you're reading is also the person that created you. And no institution, no class you can take, none of those things tell you who you are. What's the point of your life? What's your purpose? How to be a good husband or wife, etc. None of those things answer those questions. While I'm still going with some facts, I kind of want to put into perspective of how blessed we are. And that's the word for it. We're not lucky about it. We're blessed to have the opportunity to read this book. And I'm going to tell you why. Over 50 countries in the world ban this book, meaning you can't even own one. You can't have one in your possession. If you say, oh, I'm sorry, I got caught. This isn't mine. It's for somebody else. That don't work. And here's the consequences. In North Korea, this is the strictest penalty for owning a Bible in North Korea. If you're found with a Bible, they will kill you. And then they will imprison up to three generations of your family. That's the strictest penalty for having a Bible in North Korea. So what that means is if your great-grandparents have a, have a Bible and they find that, they're killing great-grandma and great-grandpa, and they're throwing papa, mama, mom and dad, and everybody in your immediate family in jail. If you got a kid, they safe. Somebody's going to have to raise them, though, because you're going to be in prison. All right. In Central Asia, several places regularly raid homes in order to search for Bibles. If found, they're confiscated and the owner is thrown in prison, the owner of the home. Terror groups across the Middle East, that's 22 countries, they say about 50% of those this applies strongly for, so, you know, 11 to 12 countries, as well as half of Africa, which is 25 countries, will torture and kill you if they find you owning a Bible in an oppressed region. Why? Because the Bible answers the questions that I asked at the beginning of this message. Who am I? What's my point of living? What's my purpose? All of those, all of those questions, the Bible answers that. The Bible's liberating. It frees you. It's the only book that can free you to be who God created you to be. And in oppressive places, they don't want you to be who God created you to be. They want you to fit into their mold. That's why a book that liberates you is punishable by death in three generations in, in one of those countries. Because if you find out the truth about who you are, the truth about who God is, and the truth about what's available to you as a child of God, not even a, a dictator can contain you. They have to kill you. And it's like, I think the person who put this into effect found that out the hard way because they ran into somebody who really believed what this book said, not just read it, but really believed it and put it into action. And they figured out the only way to take that out of them is to kill them. Can't prove that, but that's my theory. So we got a good bit of material to cover and I'm going to get through hopefully all of it, but if not, we'll pick up where we leave off. But I want to start today with talking about the word of God is practical. What do I mean by practical? I mean that you can read something in here and you can take it and directly apply it to your life. And it can save you a tre tremendous amount of heartache, a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. It can, it can help you receive blessings. It can help you to find your purpose. All of that is right here in this book. All of it. Only God can tell you the answer to those questions and that's through his book. I want to put this up, this scripture. It's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 
all scripture, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm going to read it again because it's an impactful scripture. All scripture is God breathed. So God wrote this and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, adequately prepared for every good work, for everything that God's and everything that God intends for your life is good so that you'd be prepared for every good work. I'm going to tell a little story. When I got in Pike, that fraternity that I was in, um, I was over the pledge process and um, there was a, a part of that process that you had to interview every pledge that, that came in. Well, I'm sitting across the table and having a really good interview with this guy who was a pledge at the time. And I won't say his name because I didn't ask him if I could tell this story. But good friend of mine to this day, and he's from Texas. And so we're just talking about that and you know, telling me about himself. And we get to the end of the interview. It's like a two-hour long thing. It's a series of questions to get to know each other better. And the last question is, I mean, you got to lay it all out there when you're in this fraternities with these guys. The last question is, what's your saddest memory? And then what's your happiest memory? Well, when it got to that part for both of us, he went first and I went last. And my, my, I told him my saddest memory ever. But at the end, I said, but man, when I get to my happiest memory, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explain how that was fixed in my life. And so my happiest memory was when I gave my life to Christ. Now, that might not be the most popular story to tell um, in a fraternity, but I tell you what it is, it's real and it's powerful. Well, when I said that, this guy hung his head. He was so frustrated. He was like, God, I can't get away from this nonsense. I said, what are you talking about? He said, my dad has a testimony just like that. I grew up in church. I can't stand that stuff. And I moved over here and started a fraternity. And of course, my pledge educator is a Christian. And I couldn't help myself but laugh. And he laughed. We, we both laughed about that stuff. And, you know, he wasn't serving the Lord. He got burnt out, he said. He got tired of it. But he never learned this for him. He never grabbed the Bible and said, I'm not going to let my parents feed me. I'm not going to come just sit in church because I got to sit in church. I'm going to use this book and apply it and test it. And let me tell you what happened. We hung out. You know, it was a great process, all that stuff. And that was probably... I don't know, four years ago. Well, about six months ago, I get this phone call. I love this guy to death. I get this phone call and um, I could hear over the phone. He was broken, man. He was just shattered. He was crying. I was having trouble making out what he was saying. And so I said, man, just tell me where you're at. And he was like, I'm in the parking lot at a coffee shop. So I went to this coffee shop here in town. I got in his truck and he he wasn't crying or anything. Um. But I said, man, what's going on? And when I put my hand on his shoulder, the waterworks started, man. He just started crying. He was broken. And he had some torn up stuff on his center console and it was some pictures. Well, what happened was he was dating this girl and she broke up with him. And man, he, they dated for like two years. You know, he met her when he was out one night uh, partying and that turned into a relationship and, and it wasn't founded on anything. It wasn't founded on a Christian relationship. It was just, it was based on all the wrong things to be honest with you. Um, 
And he started to share some of the, the way he was feeling. He told me, he says, dude, I know she's not the right person for me. He's like, I know that. I knew that when I met her. It was just a fun time. And he said, but the reality is I don't want to see her with anybody else. And now I have to see her with somebody else and it's killing me. I said, well, how long have you guys been broken up? He said, a week. And I've been trying to just get over it and I can't. He's like, I don't know what to do. He said, I'm depressed. He said, my grades are dropping. I took, I had three tests this week. I didn't even barely focus on those tests, man. I know I failed them all. He's like, I don't want to be in public. When I'm in public, I feel like everybody around me knows what happened. He's like, I just feel, I feel destroyed. And the way I lost her the way, is the way that I found her. She, she, I found her partying and I lost her partying. And he started to talk about all of this stuff. And he said, I don't want to go to work. And then he goes, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know why this is happening. I can't make sense of this. And right then, the Holy Spirit dropped a scripture on my heart. And I said his name, you know, I'm just going to call him John. Because I, when I tell a story, I'm scared to say his name. His name is John. I said, John, I said, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Now, how many people have heard that before in here? How many people have actually not listened to it and accidentally didn't guard their heart? See, the word of God is practical. Then in Song of Solomon 8 verse 4 says, I want you to promise, O women of Jerusalem, that's for guys too, not to awaken love until the time is right. Now, I'm not going to get into more example there, but there's more in the Bible about that. He didn't heed that wisdom. And I asked him, I said, did you guys sleep together? And he said, yeah. And I knew at that point, it was more than just a, we dated, I don't want her to be with somebody else. There's something called a soul tie. How many of you have heard of a soul tie? That's another real thing. I can tell you that from experience. And I knew what he was going through. He was broken. He was broken. But the truth is that the Bible says a man will leave his mother and father and join to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Man, what he was experiencing, he looks up at me after I said that. He goes, why would a God, a loving God, ever allow me to go through this? I said, man, it was never God's intent for you to go through this. God designed this thing to not bring you here to this point. But God gives you warning signs at the beginning. Now, the good news of this stuff is the conversation went on, and he just kind of said, well, man, I don't know what to do at this point. And I prayed with him and stuff, and and I, I gave him these two, these two scriptures of what hit my mind at the time. In Psalms 147.3, it says, He, or the Lord, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In Psalms 23, verse 3, in the first part, it says, He restores my soul. So God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up those wounds, and He restores your soul. And He will do that for my friend. And He's doing that for my friend as He starts to draw closer to God. But this book is relevant. 2 Timothy 3, 16, verse 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. I'm going to lead into another story real quick. My dad has a friend who's in business, and he's not a Christian guy. And um, 
really talented, really skilled at what he does. Um, but he was a little dishonest. He would add some hidden fees here and some hidden fees there. And let's say a product was $30. By the time he'd sell it, he'd sell it for like $45. And he's making this extra money. Well, what happened was somebody found out about it and they filed a suit against him. Well, he had this big lawsuit against him. He's got a big business. He had this big lawsuit against him. He had to pay a lot of money for that for that lawsuit, and he got a lot of bad publicity for that lawsuit. So at the end of the day, he was telling me about it, and he was broken about it. I mean, he was humbled. He just lost a whole lot because of that mistake, and it broke my heart to see him in that position. And he said, he says, man, you know, I did the, I did the numbers. I ended up losing almost as much money as I originally gained. I got back to square one and then lost almost all of that money. I was like, wow. I thought to myself, man, that's, that's justice from the Lord right there. You know, now, did, I, did, did he get what was coming to him? Absolutely. Did I enjoy seeing my friend or, you know, my dad's friend, somebody I grew up seeing, did I enjoy seeing him hurt? Absolutely not. We're not nobody's perfect, but there's a truth here as well. And when he said, he's like, man, I just, I'm destroyed about this, man. I feel like my reputation's ruined. I said, well, Mr. Such and such, I said, you know, I don't believe that we can ever do something so bad that God can't fix the situation and teach us something. I think it's a mistake when we mess up and we don't allow God to teach us from our mistake. And I said, you know, in doing that, the Lord hates cheating, but he delights in honesty. The Lord hates, in another verse, that's Proverbs 11.1. 1. In another area of Proverbs, it says he detests dishonesty. So if the Lord detests dishonesty, what's the flip side of that? Well, my friend and I started to talk a little bit, and he was like, well, man, I'm not, I don't want to battle that, but what, where do you get that from? So I showed him in the Bible, and he said, well, what do you mean dishonesty? And I showed him some other scriptures about being selfish versus being selfless. And what's the Bible say? And how's that apply to business? And pretty much the gist of it all is this. The root of dishonesty is selfishness. It's the same thing as saying, I would rather mislead this person, this person lose money, and I gain it. The root of selfishness is pride. I'm more important than you. Or my finances and financial well-being is more important than yours. And that's really the heart of what happened to him. We see in James 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, if my friend would have been honest and, and, and not prideful, if he'd have humbled himself and done honest business, he might have had the blessing of God on his business and not had to encounter that humbling experience. Right? So I'm going to skip. I have one more story I'll probably tell next week because it's a good one. But for time's sake, I want to talk about a few more things. God's word is not just practical. It's not just easy to implement. It's also powerful. And I'm going to explain why that is. If we put God's word in the perspective, let's put up John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And read this with me. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That can be a little wordy. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
He was God in the beginning. In verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So who's the word? It's Jesus. Jesus is the word. Pastor Todd said this about reading your Bible. When we think about the word being with God in the beginning, him coming in the flesh, and then Jesus saying that a helper will come, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send. And we know that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit wrote this book. So this is the word of God. This is the living, breathing, active word of God. Pastor Todd said this, when you spend time in the word, he is the word and he dwells with you. He dwells among you. It's like you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's like you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I've heard someone say this, and if you take your time and read the Bible, this is true. You don't read this book, it reads you. Have you all ever heard that before? You don't read this book, it reads you? When you're reading this, this book is alive and active. And it's, it's tailoring itself, it's fitting itself to your individual circumstance, your unique circumstance. As you familiarize yourself with the Bible, as you continue to read the Bible, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will remind you of it in your everyday life. In John 14, 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. I'll give you an example of that. This morning, I try to read, if it's, if it's the first of the month, I try to read Proverbs chapter 1 in the morning. If it's the 15th, I read the fifth, Proverbs chapter 15 in the morning. That's just a little thing that I do. And this morning, when I was reading Proverbs chapter 3, it said, um, if you have something good, don't withhold it from a person. And don't say to yourself, Ah, uh, tomorrow I'll give it. Today I won't. It's, and it goes on to say, and I'm paraphrasing, but it goes on to say, give it while it's still today. So in other words, if you have something nice to say about somebody, something encouraging to say about somebody, don't just think about it and not act on it. Do it. Encourage that person. So I shot a little text message this morning to somebody that I was thinking about, and they called. Boom, my phone starts ringing. Hey, what's going on? Man, you, I love you, man. I, you don't know how on time that word was. And it was so simple. And so many times, man, I'll, I'll, if I didn't read that, that word this morning, I wouldn't have meditated on it and acted on it. So many times I'll think of something and I don't do it because I think, man, that might be weird. They might think, this is random. I ain't talked to you in X amount of time or something like that, you know. But man, I'm glad I did that this morning. So as we're wrapping up, I want to talk about two things that make the Bible powerless. It takes away the Bible's power. So of all the powerful things I just talked about, this causes it to be powerless, not reading it. Number one, not reading the Bible causes it to be powerless. There are a lot of people who criticize this book, and they, they have all kind of bad things to say about it and all kind of scrutiny to say about it. But you know what the reality is? They're not reading it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of experts on the Bible walking around out there who've never read the Bible, right? Joshua 1, chapter 8 says this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night 
so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The key phrases in this verse for today's message is meditate on it day and night. If you don't read the word of God, that's not fresh in your mind. You can't possibly meditate on it day and night, right? If you can't meditate on it, then you can't receive the promise, which is the next key phrase in this verse. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So there's a promise here. If you meditate on the word of God, you'll be prosperous and successful. The second thing that will cause the Bible to be powerless is not applying what you're reading, not doing it. A lot of people, they just read this book or they've heard it all. Man, I've heard it all. That's a cliche verse or I heard it all. It's not a verse in the Bible that's too recited or cliche or ineffective because it's been said a lot. It loses its effect when we don't do it. And so doing the word of God is the second thing that will make it effective. Or if you don't do it, it won't be effective. Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, Jesus is saying this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. These are difficult times, difficult seasons that'll always be. Yet it did not fall because it's, because it had its foundation on the rock. That's the word of God. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Do not merely listen in James 1, 22 verse 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, we talked about that earlier, why those countries don't want you to have a Bible. The perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. What's so dangerous about just being a hearer of the word and not a doer? It's dangerous, by the way, just hearing the word and not doing it. When you first hear the word of God, it's powerful, it's fresh, it's new. It comes with hope and expectancy. So if I tell you what we read earlier, Joshua chapter one, verse eight, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate it on day and night, and that it ends in, then you will be prosperous and successful. If you read that and you don't read this Bible and you don't meditate on it day and night, then you won't experience the promise that it just promised you. Why is that dangerous? When you take the word, you hear it, and that new excitement comes along, the natural response is this. Okay, I believe in this. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something with it, and I'm looking for an experience. When you put the word of God into practice, then you get an experience. You experience the truth and the power of what you read. You're not just hearing about it. You're experiencing it. Is that making sense, guys? Is that too wordy? No? Okay, now 
for me, I have to have a plan. Like I can't just say, all right, I'm going to read the Bible and here we go. Like I, I have to have a plan. And Ben Franklin says this, if you, plan, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. How many of you heard that before? If you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. So it's only logical that we come up with a plan of reading the word of God. So this is just what I use. This is the practical part of the message. This is just what I use. Doesn't have to be this way. I've tried a bunch of different ways and I just keep getting back to this one. I make it a priority and a part of my schedule. And I would suggest you do the same thing. You have to make reading God's word a priority and you have to schedule it. Just like you go to class, you think about it. It's a priority to go to class. It's a priority to finish school. There's no getting out of that, right? It's a priority to listen to what your parents are telling you. It's a priority to eat. You got to eat. If you look at this word the same way, you set a time and a place. That's step number one. For me, what that looks like is 6 a.m. I know when I say that, some of you guys are like, well, that ain't what it's going to look like for me. Whatever it is, as long as it's set in a schedule and you follow it. But for me, I get up at 6, and from 6 to 7, that's my time with God. That's my time in the Word, and I don't let anything get in the way of that. Number two is set the mood. Set the mood. The environment matters. For me, lighting, sound, comfort, etc., now, y'all might think, man, you're really getting into this thing. I look forward to 6 a.m. because I set the mood for it. I sit by my window. It's real dim in the morning. I have a little dimmer switch in my, in my living room. I make the lights real dim. I have a coffee pot. I set the timer on my coffee pot, and I wake up to it freshly grinding my coffee grounds and brew my coffee. Smells coffee. It's great, guys. It's great. So anyway, <laughs> set the mood. Did I get that point across? So I get up in the morning, I'm drinking my coffee, read my Bible. The second things, and here I go, set aside distractions. Set aside distractions. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Do not let those things rob you of your time with God. Man, Brady always talks about Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. He's a social media Nazi. I'm, I'm not. You just got to make sure you're in control of it and it's not in control of you. And if we're talking about reading the word of God, if we're talking about making it a priority, setting the mood, don't be distracted from the first two steps by Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Y'all got that? Okay. Fourth part, pray before and after. Again, the Holy Spirit wrote this book, so ask him to help you interpret it. You know, you can read this book unprayerfully and unfocused. And you could recite what you just read. But if you don't pray before and ask the Holy Spirit to help you read it, that might be why some of you could be discouraged reading the Bible, because it's a spiritual book. It's not just a, a leisure, you know, fiction novel. It's, it's actually alive. So you got to ask the author to help you understand. The Bible is not about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. So like when you read the Bible, it transforms you from the inside out. It transforms your heart. Point number five, you want to be consistent. Now, this isn't a revolutionary quote. I made it up on the spot, though. The more consistent you are, the more consistent you are. I know that's deep. It's good, huh? The more consistent you are, the more consistent you are. 
Woo! It sounds like a George Bush quote, I think. All right? But it's true, guys. The more consistent, it says it takes 21 days to develop a habit. If you'll do that for 21 days, you're going to do it on the day, on the, the 22nd day, right? Second to last, apply what you're reading. Apply what you're reading. You're going to see how practical and relevant the Word of God is. And whenever you start to experience that, like we talked about, it's going to cause you to want to do it more. When you read something, you put it into practice, and it actually happens, you suddenly run back to this book, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what else do they have in here for this? You'll pull out Google. Man, I'm dealing with stress. Google, scriptures on stress. What does it say to do? All right, I'm going to do that. And you'll start to desire the Word of God. The last point, get a partner. I find it helpful to have one person that I can talk about the Word of God to. And, you know, just have one person. The more, the better. But if you can have one friend who's going to agree to do the same thing, you're going to have one friend who's going to say, yeah, man, I'll read too. For me, it's one, of my, it's one of my best friends, Aaron. And for a long time, when I first got saved and he had just gotten saved, we were both starting the same chapter. I'd read and take notes in the first chapter. And I'd have cr- like crazy off-the-wall questions. I'd write them down with no answers, by the way. And I'd come to him and he'd come to me with the same thing. Man, did you read this part? What's that John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was... What in the world is it talking about? God answered those questions for me. But I stayed in it, and we talked about it. Having a partner helps. It, has, it helps because they'll receive things that you didn't receive, and you'll receive things that they didn't receive, and it keeps you in the Word. Does all that make sense, guys? All right, let's stand. Let's close in prayer. All right, Lord. God, we, we want to we apply this message, Lord. We want to apply this message. We know that we can talk all day about getting into your word. and We can know that it's real. We can know that you wrote it. We can know that you help us to read it if we get into it. But, but actually doing that stuff is another story, Lord. And we're not used to it. If we're not used to it, it's hard to get started. So Holy Spirit, just like you, your word says that you draw people into relationship with you, The word says that the Father draws people to the Son. Just like you draw people into relationship, I pray that you would draw us into reading your word and applying your word. God, if there's any area of our lives that we've we've just we've allowed scripture reading to just become a normal routine and, and it's lost its power in our life because we're not looking to apply it and we're We're not looking for it to be active in our life. If that's happened, Lord, we want you to refresh that situation. We want you to refresh it. Lord, I pray that when everybody in here would sit down to read your word, that it would come alive to them, that it wouldn't be just a task that I talked about on a Wednesday night, but it would be something that really would transform their life. God, your word is transforming. I know that. People in here know that. God, I pray that that would be a continual experience. Now, Lord, on a different note, Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone in here. Lord, I pray that you would draw people into relationship with you, not just in your word, but also in prayer. God, I pray that people would look forward to their conversations with you. I pray that people would see you as a loving father who genuinely wants to hang out and talk. I pray that people would 
would desire to share their deepest things with you, Lord. And that when they do it, I pray they'd hear you speaking back. I pray they'd hear you speaking back. And Lord, lastly, I pray about worship like we talked about a few weeks ago. Lord, I pray that people would just have a desire out of the, out of the blue, out of the middle of nowhere, just to go and worship you by themselves, Lord. I pray that that relationship that we've been talking about for the past month, Lord, I pray that you would lead us into a deeper relationship with you. So as I've been preaching, if you're in here and you might say that, you know what, Brady, I've heard that before about God's word. I've read it. It didn't make any sense to me. I've never given really my life to him. I don't know that that I'm really classified as a Christian, but I want to be. If, if you would say that, I want to pray for you. And I'm not going to ask you to walk up. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand in a second. The other, the other side of that is this. If, if you would say, Brady, I, I am a Christian. And I'm very familiar with the Bible. But I'll be honest, it doesn't, it doesn't transform my life. It's not that powerful to me. And to me, I'm just kind of used to it. I, I just, it's the norm to me, but it's, it's really not that life-changing. But I want it to be. But I want it to be. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come up. But what I do want to do is pray for both groups of people. So if that was you when I was talking... I want you to just slip up your hand. Everybody bow your head. Everybody close your eyes. If that was you, if you would say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, but I want to know. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Slip your hand up. I see your hand. Good. If that's you, don't be don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Just slip your hand up. And again, if you would say, you know, I don't, I don't read my Bible. It's not that powerful to me. Just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you. Awesome. This hand's going up all over. This is great. There's nothing like being real with God. When you're real with God, He's real with you. He changes things. Let's just pray together. Father God, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I ask you into my life. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to cleanse me. And I ask you to heal me. I want to be in right standing with you. I want to live for you. Amen. And then pray this prayer with with me as well. Lord Jesus, I want the Bible to be real to me. I want it to be practical to me. I want to see the Bible come alive in my life and the lives of my friends and family. I believe your word transforms people. And I want that to be real in my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask some altar workers to come up. If there's anything you want prayer for, you want to stand with somebody for prayer, I want to encourage you, come do that. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm present. There's something powerful about standing with people and praying with them. So 
As we close, if you want some prayer, you can go ahead and come up now. If not, feel free to just hang around. Feel free to pray from where you are. Spend some more time with God while the service is wrapping up. If not, see you guys next week for the Students United Upstairs J Building. Y'all be blessed. Again, thanks for joining us. For more info on Fusion, you can check us out on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you.